You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. We're in Exodus chapter 12 tonight, and last week we looked at verses 1 through 13, so we'll start reading in verse 14 here in just a minute. But you'll remember if you were with us last week or if you had a chance to listen to the podcast at a later time that we were uh, talking about the preparations for the Passover. And what you're going to see in the course of the next several weeks is a lot of repetition as we keep coming back to instructions about the Passover. Tonight we're going to introduce the Feast of uh, Unleavened Bread. And then in the coming weeks, we'll see some um, rehashing of those instructions. And keep in mind, it's because last week we saw God giving instructions to Moses. Tonight, we're going to see Moses turning around and giving those same instructions to uh, the people of Israel. And you might say, well, why do we have to write that thing out twice? Right. Like, why do we have to list those things out um, multiple times? I think we should probably pause and say, well, God obviously thought this was really important for his people at that time to get it right. Uh, to get these instructions down correctly, to follow through with them going forward, um, because this was something that was going to be done year after year, generation after generation. And so he was very intentional in the communication of those procedures. And so we'll see some of that tonight. But uh, last week we talked about how the Passover is a defining moment in salvation history uh, because that act of God passing over his people uh, lays this groundwork for us of this understanding of why a substitute is needed For us to escape the coming wrath of God ourselves. And so remember, this is God progressively revealing his plan. And so while we have the sacrifice system in some ways introduced in the Old Testament before this in the book of Genesis, um, you'll remember we saw uh, early on there's a sacrifice made in the Garden of Eden to atone for Adam and Eve's sin right off the bat. There's sacrifices being offered by Cain and Abel and and other followers there during that time. And some are getting it right, some are getting it wrong. And uh, we know Abraham was called to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. God provides a substitute in that situation to kind of introduce the idea of the substitute sacrifice. And so the Passover becomes that further foundational groundwork being laid for how do we understand our own salvation? How do we understand the Messiah coming and not just conquering Rome and getting on a, uh, a throne and ruling and reigning forever right then. No, we see that there's a need for a savior that is a substitute savior, right? One who comes to put an end to animal sacrifices, one who comes to exceed all expectations for the sacrifices that have been offered year after year after year. And so uh, the Passover is that defining moment. We saw last week how our own salvation kind of ties in with that because just like it did for them, uh, it reorients our life, right? We talked about how Israel was going to have a new calendar system. They were going to have uh, new celebrations, new beginnings. And that's certainly what happens when we come to follow Christ too. We have new reasons to celebrate. Uh, salvation redirects our attention to a substitute. It reminds us that bloodlines don't count for salvation. It doesn't matter if you grew up in a Christian home. And I challenged our kids and our youth last week to see that, that you, you, you can't claim safety and security because your parents are Christians. Um, That's not how salvation works. It doesn't matter your bloodline. Uh, It's the blood of the sacrifice of the substitute uh, that can ultimately save us. And we talked about how salvation requires faith and action, that uh, the Israelites had to do something with what they were told. They were going to have to carry out these actions in faith. They were going to have to kill the lamb. They were going to have to spread the blood on the doorpost. And it was going to be a sign to them that, uh, again, their bloodline wasn't good enough and that their good works weren't good enough because everybody was going to be saved that night the same way. Right. And it was also a sign to God as he looked down, as he came through to deliver uh, justice 
Um, when, that, when that blood was seen by him, it was a sign that they had acted in faith and he could pass over and um, he could delay punishment for their sin. It's not that he just decided not to punish their sin. Romans 3 tells us he delayed that punishment. He passed over former sins and then poured out his judgment on Christ on the cross. And so the preparations for Passover were seen last week. Tonight we turn our attention to verse 14 as we introduce the feast of unleavened bread. It says, this day shall be for you a memorial day and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly. On the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days. But what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your host out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel. Whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land, you shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwelling places. You shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. Verse 26. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Then the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. If you're keeping notes tonight, our summary sentence is we are to remember. We are to remember how God has worked in the past and how God has promised to work in the future. All right, we're going to, we're going to, there's more to that, but I'm going to let you write that as you're taking notes. We are to remember how God has worked in the past and how God has promised to work in the future. We're going to see tonight that God's building a culture of remembrance with his people. Now, keep in mind when you're reading about this, this feast of unleavened bread, they don't have the law yet. They don't have instructions about how to live as God's people. Like they don't even really have instructions about the Sabbath day and not working, which is kind of neat to think about because they probably didn't have an off day as slaves in Egypt, right? Like we see how Pharaoh kind of reacts when, when Moses even entertains the idea of taking a break to go and worship Yahweh. It's like, we don't take breaks around here. Like they got plenty of work to do. And if they've got time that, that they can waste and they can make their, their bricks without straw, right? So um, I heard this week listening on the radio that there's a bill trying to be passed where four, four day work days or four day work weeks would become the norm going forward. And so there's this effort to try to pass like three-day weekends, which 
would be awesome, but kind of seems ridiculous. Like, um, there, there's, there, there's some aspects, I think, where we can look to say, you know what? God created us to work. God created us to labor. Um, the, the Israelites had not had any off days, right? And so this was going to be huge for them, just the in, entrance even of the idea of, of time off. Because here in this uh, Feast of Unleavened Bread, which they would celebrate year after year, there's to be no work on that first day of the feast, no work on the last day of the feast. Um, we're to remember how God has worked in the past and how God has promised to work in the future by following through with obedience in the present. Right? We want to remember how God's worked in the past, how God's promised to work in the future. One of the ways we're going to do that is by following through with obedience in the present. And in the last part of our summary sentence, while using festivals and fellowship to fight our tendencies to forget. We are to remember how God has worked in the past and how God has promised to work in the future by following through with obedience in the present while using festivals and fellowship to fight our tendencies to forget. In Psalm chapter 75, Psalm 78, sorry, Psalm 78 verse 5. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children. That the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. Right? So this idea that we're to remember things, we're to teach it to the next generation, that's certainly what we just read about here in uh, Exodus chapter 12. What's the purpose of that? Verse 7. So they should set their hope in God. That's the future piece. We want to we remember what God's going to do in the future. That's where our hope is. We don't want to forget, verse 7, not forget the works of God in the past. But keep his commandments. That's that present day obedience, right? So we're, we're remembering and we're teaching the next generation what? To set our, hopes in God, set our hope in God in the future. Not forget the works of God in the past. But keep his commandments in the present. Verse 8. That they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. A generation whose heart was not steadfast. Whose spirit was not faithful to God. The idea that we remember, we remember what God did in the past. We remember what God's going to do in the future. Part of the way we remember is that we act in obedience today. We act in obedience today so that we don't forget these things. We don't forget these things. So that we don't become like uh, others, examples in the, in, the, in the scriptures, Old Testament particularly with Israel. That we don't become people who are stubborn and rebellious, whose hearts aren't steadfast, whose spirits aren't faithful to God. There's a call to remember here in Exodus chapter 12. So going back to our, our chapter tonight, Exodus chapter 12, verse 14 says, this day shall be for you a memorial day. It's a, it's a remembrance day. It's an opportunity to recall this great event that, that's about to take place. You fast forward into chapter 13, verse 3, as we're, we're going to see in the coming weeks, this is all like one big section. And it says in verse 3, then Moses said to the people, remember this day. In which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand, the Lord brought you out of this place. The goal is to remember. God's working intentionally to create this remembering culture amongst his people. Now think about maybe some of the tools that you use to remember things, right? Maybe you have a tendency to forget. And so you've had to create uh, some tools and some systems in your life so that you don't forget, right? Uh, a lot of us use our phones. We use Siri or we use Alexa or whatever uh, helpful assistant we have tied to our phone to remind us to do things, which is great, especially in the moment when 
things are popping up around you and you're in the middle of maybe even driving and you remember that you've got to do something, you just call out to your phone and you say, remind me, help me to remember to do this. And the phone typically obliges and will do that. Maybe you've got sticky notes or maybe you use calendars to, to remind you what to do, different apps. I used to carry around a yellow pad where I just wrote down my to-do list constantly. And one of my favorite things to do was to rewrite it on another notepad in a neater way just to remind myself to do things, right? Um, agendas. We teach our kids at, at Trinity to use an agenda to record what they've got to do this week, to think through how they're going to schedule their time and prioritize their time for the week. Tools to remember. Well, God wants the, the current people who are, who are going through this first Passover. He wants them to know this experience, to remember it. And he wants the next people, the next generation to come to know it too. They won't experience it, but he wants them to be introduced to these concepts through the retelling of what has happened. And then for them to remember it going forward as well. So, so God's going to give us some tools tonight, I think, too, to help us remember to help us remember the things that we need to know. He's going to call these people to immediately apply what they hear. That's going to be the present obedience. He's going to, he's going to introduce the idea of celebrations and festivals for them yearly to remember things that have happened in the past. And then he's going to call them to fellowship with one another. Intentional fellowship with one another where the fellowship is designed around the idea of reminding each other of who God is, what God wants, and what God has promised to do. So we're going to see these tools tonight that God gives us. The idea that he calls us to immediate obedience when we hear, to celebrate things that he's done in the past, and to fellowship with others who can help remind us as well. Church historian Claire Davis said the Christian life is a combination of amnesia and deja vu. It's a combination of amnesia and deja vu. The idea being that we forget a lot of the things that we're taught. We forget a lot of the things that we experience. We forget a lot of the faithfulness that God gives to us. My mom's here tonight. She uh, started a long time ago what she calls a, a rainbow book where she records the things that God has done so that she won't forget Right? The rainbow was meant to be a, a tool for us to remember, to remember God's wrath, to remember God's justice, but to remember God's grace, to remember God's promise of hope that he'll never do it that way again. So that when rains would come in, in, the, in the coming days shortly after that flood, they wouldn't panic and think, here we go again. We got to jump back into the ark. Right. These tools that God gives us so that we can remember because we're, we're prone to forget and then oftentimes the deja vu kicks in because as we're being reminded, it's like, I know this. I remember this now. We've been here before. This is a lesson that God has taught me previously and I've just forgotten. That's what the, the historian means by saying it's a combination of amnesia and deja vu. As we follow Christ, we need to keep learning the same lessons over and over because we keep forgetting them. We must keep learning what we keep forgetting. And Peter was intentional with that, right? As, as Peter's getting ready to sound off in his ministry life in 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, he, he informs the, the people that he's writing to that until he dies, he's just going to keep reminding them of what he's already said. He says in verse 12, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right as long as I'm in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time 
to recall these things. Peter's like, I'm committed to making sure that you remember, that you remember when you need these things most. When we don't remember, we repeat the mistakes of Israel with the grumbling and the complaining and the sinning. We see this in Psalm, back in Psalm chapter 78, the passage that we were looking at just a few minutes ago where uh, Israel wants to remember there's a threat of forgetting. And if we forget, we turn out like them. And it says in Psalm chapter 78, verse 40, how often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. They tested God again and again and provoked the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power or the day when he redeemed them from the foe, when he performed his signs in Egypt and his marvels in the fields of Zoan. They forgot. They forgot all these things that God had done for them. And it was leading them into sinful rebellion. We don't want to be like that. We don't want to forget. There's all kinds of things that we're called to remember in Scripture. Nehemiah 4.14 tells us to remember that God is awesome. Ecclesiastes 12.1 tells us to remember that he's our creator. Which when we remember that he's our creator, it frees us from thinking that we can, we can determine what we do in life ourselves. That we follow his commands um, Isaiah 46, 9 tells us to remember that there is no other God. And 2 Timothy 2, 8 tells us to remember that Christ has risen from the dead. To not forget it. That we need that truth every day burned into our minds that Christ lives. That Christ lives today. That Christ rules and Christ reigns. Through this Passover and this unleavened bread feast. And really they should be kind of seen as one big celebration. We're going to see how there's some overlap even in the timing. Remember, the Passover starts on the 10th day of that month, and then they kill the lamb on the 14th day. The 14th day is also the first day of the unleavened bread feast, which runs until the 21st day. So it's this giant celebration that's taking place. Um, God's determined to have Israel remember this exodus, to remember this salvation from Egypt. Now, what we see in our text here is that it's to be celebrated annually. Three times they're told to adopt it permanently in their calendar in verse 14 verse 17 and verse 24 like this is to be something you do moving forward they end up keeping this in egypt they end up keeping it in the wilderness and even in the promised land when they finally get there after another 40 years of wandering and being outside of the promised land joshua 5 10 through 11 tells us that they they celebrate the passover and the unleavened bread feast before or as they're in the promised land going into the promised land we even see that when he gives the Sabbath day in Deuteron or Deuteronomy 5.15 references the fact that the Sabbath day is given to remember the harsh labor that they had in Egypt. Hey, you get days off with God. Right? He's like, hey, you were saved from slavery not to just be on your own doing whatever. You're, you're, you're saved to be my slaves now. You're like, you're followers of me. You're servants of me. But I'm a much better master than Pharaoh. A much better master than Pharaoh. And one of the ways that we see that is the day off that God gives them. The Sabbath day of rest that God communicates to them. Passover, we can see, is a way to remember that God did this to spare us, to save us. He provides for us. He's the substitute. Okay, so I want you to see how the Passover and the unleavened bread feast are really a picture of our salvation. With the Passover piece being that substitute. You're saved. The unleavened bread feast has to do with the sanctification that flows from our salvation. It's him securing us and sanctifying us, uh, pulling the sin out of our life and conforming us to the image of Christ. First Corinthians chapter five gives us a really good understanding of how we should understand all this leaven talk and unleavened talk in Exodus 12. So first Corinthians chapter five, if you want to turn there, if you want to jot it down. 
1 Corinthians 5 verse 6 says, your boasting is not good. Now, this is in the context of sexual immorality that's going on in the church. It's introduced in chapter 5 verse 1. Paul is like coming after the church, the leadership of the church, and he's like, how can you tolerate this sinful behavior? Like you're just letting it run rampant. You don't want to address it. He says in verse 6, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. This helps us to better understand what's happening in Exodus 12. I'm thankful that, that here at our church we go through passages verse by verse because I can tell you, as I was looking at Exodus 12 this week, I'm thinking, I would never pick this passage to preach probably if just left to myself to just randomly pick sections, right? Like you look at this and you're like, why does this even matter? Like we don't do this anymore. We don't celebrate the Passover. We don't celebrate the unleavened bread feast. Like why are we even talking about this? Well, 1 Corinthians 5 helps us to see what that was for. It was helped them to put together this picture that you need to remove the sin from your life. Like get it out. Cleanse yourself remove it, like be intentional with a spring cleaning type of an idea. Get that sin out, just like they were commanded to go through their house and get all the leaven out. As they anticipated the celebration, it wasn't just about not eating it. It was like, we don't even want it in the house. Like remove it, get it out. We've been saved. That's our Passover. We're being sanctified. That's our unleavened feast. God is removing sin in our life. He's called us to participate in that, to put to death the, the sinful deeds of our body. We, we were blessed at, at Snowbird this week to hear um, what it means to put on the new man, what it means to fight for that in our life. And, and this is a picture of that. We're to have this mindset to, to remove it, to get rid of it. Now, I told you we don't celebrate the Passover and the unleavened bread feast, but we do celebrate the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper has this, uh, this updated feel to it because Christ comes on the scene and uh, Matthew chapter 26, turn your attention there. And if you, if you want to turn, you can, if not, you can just listen. Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. This is in the context of Jesus celebrating the Passover with his disciples on the 14th day of the month, which is the Passover day. And it's also the first day of the unleavened bread feast, right? It's in that context that he changes it going forward. He says, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. He took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I'll not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. Think about what's being said there. Jesus is with his disciples the, the last night that they're going to they're gonna be together before his crucifixion. And, and he says, hey, we're, we're changing the celebration. Like It's going to be different moving forward. And, and, and the idea being that he is now the fulfillment of it. He is that sacrificial lamb. He's the perfect Passover. And he says, you're going to remember me going forward. You're going to remember my body and my blood, which is what we do every time we partake of the Lord's Supper. Right? He said, I want you to remember to do this in remembrance of me. And he says, I'm not going to eat it again with you until we're in the kingdom together. Think about the passage we read every time we do the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians. It says, you do this 
to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And there's all kinds of opinions about how often you should take the Lord's Supper, right? Like it's very clear how often they're going to celebrate the Passover, when they're going to do it. All kinds of ideas out there about how, how often to do the Lord's Supper. Some people say do it every week. Some people say do it quarterly. We kind of go in the middle there and we're celebrating it on average uh, twice a quarter, right? So about eight times a year, we're kind of fitting it into our schedule. What we've tried to do is let you guys know better now in advance when it's going to happen. Right? So in case you haven't picked up on it, it's every six weeks. Every six weeks, we're application Sundaying it. Every six weeks, we're partaking of the Lord's Supper. We want to use that celebration, that festival, if you will, that, that, that feast to remember, to remember what Christ has done for us. To piggyback off what the Passover and the unleavened bread is, is picturing in the Old Testament, we partake of the Lord's Supper, Christ crucified, Christ risen on our behalf. That's a ginormous intro for you, all right? And now we gotta go fast so we can get out of here at normal time. So if you're taking notes, number one, I'm gonna give you the three tools that we talked about for remembering. This is God's goal for us, to remember. How do we do that? Number one, we fight forgetfulness with follow through. We fight forgetfulness with follow through. Number one, we're prone to remember if we listen well. We're prone to remember if we listen well. I told you a minute ago, the feast overlaps with the Passover night celebration. We see this in Matthew 26, 17. As Jesus is gathering to partake, it's the first month, it's the 14th day. The night that, or the, the, the time frame where the lamb's gonna be slaughtered. It's the, the start of that festival as well for the unleavened bread. It'll run till the 21st day and it's gonna happen year after year. Every generation going forward was to celebrate it. Let's go back to Exodus 12. And as we were talking about last week, the, the intentionality you would want to write down the details if you knew you had to do this right to avoid the destroyer taking your firstborn. Listen to what it says in verse 15. Seven days you're going to eat unleavened bread. The first day you're going to remove all the leaven from your house. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person's going to be cut off from Israel. Now you get serious here, right? It's a seven-day deal. Leaven's to be removed on the first day. And if you don't get this right, you're cut off from Israel. He goes on to say on the first day, you're going to have a big holy assembly. On the seventh day, you're going to have a big holy assembly. Right? These, these big pep rallies are going to happen before and after where you're going to celebrate what you're celebrating in between together. As families, you're going to be together in the middle, but you're going to come together as a people before and after this festival starts. And you're going to celebrate what it means. No work's going to happen on those days. You're going to observe this feast of unleavened bread, verse 17 says. Why? Because I brought your host out of the land of Egypt. You're going to observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. The first month, the 14th day, in the evening, you're going to eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month of evening. Seven days, no leavens to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what's leavened, that person's going to be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he's a sojourner or a native of the land. You're going to eat nothing leavened in all your dwelling places. You shall eat unleavened bread. And there's repetition right there where he's saying these things, right? Like he wants them to get it. He wants them to understand it. No mistakes. Now, leaven's not evil in and of itself. What he's wanting to do is give them a picture of what it looks like to remove. Now, I thought it was really interesting as I was studying um, these commentators that what was happening is that they would take dough that had yeast in it, and as they were baking bread, they would save a reserve. They would hold back some and kind of keep it, 
And that would be their starting point for the next time they wanted to make bread. Right? And so when he says you're going to clean it out, you're going to remove all these like pieces of bread that you're like waiting to use. Like this old leaven is going to be completely removed. Why? Because we're leaving Egypt and we're not taking any of Egypt with us. Right? Like you clean it out, you dump it, you throw it away. Now, 10 years, no, longer than 10 years ago, 14, 15 years ago, there was a group of us in this church that did this thing called friendship bread, right? And it's real similar to that. Friendship bread, you get these instructions from somebody who gives you this gift of like old dough that's got the yeast that's been working in it. And you're supposed to make your own friendship bread, but you're supposed to save some of it after you make more of it to give to somebody else, which sounds like a really cool idea. Except I got really sick off of it. So I feel like I really understand the sin piece here that he's talking about. Because it, it, it felt evil to me what happened with friendship bread. The friends that gave me this did not feel like friends in the moment. Because I got really sick off of it. Right? He says, you get rid of all that leaven. You throw it out of your house. You don't keep it. Right? We're, we're, we're moving forward. This is new beginning type stuff. Right? He says, you're going to remove it. This unleavened bread is meant to symbolize holiness, the yeast picturing sin. It's the, the yeast that works itself into all of the dough, just like sin tries to work itself into all of our life. When you combine the unleavened bread festival with the, the Passover, these acts that they were supposed to do, the, the wiping of the blood, the removing of the leaven, all of these things are meant to remind Israel to live holy lives in light of their salvation and new identity as God's people. Right? As they carry out the Passover, they're supposed to remember, we didn't save ourselves. We were passed over because of the blood of another. Supposed to create this anticipation of a greater blood to come where we don't have to keep doing this. Right? They're to celebrate the salvation piece. But then as they get into this unleavened bread feast, it's to remind them that, hey, we're not bringing Egypt with us. We're not bringing our old sinful life with us. We're leaving that behind. Right? We're saying yes to Christ. We're moving forward and we're leaving our old life behind. He wants to get them out of Egypt, but he wants to get Egypt out of them too in this whole salvation process, just like with us. He saves us, not by good works, but he saves us to good works. Right? These, these good works that he ordained beforehand that we should walk in them, the book of Ephesians tells us. He saves us not because we're good, but he saves us to become good. He saves us to conform us to the image of Christ. And he wants us to make a clean sleep, a clean sweep in our lives as well. To throw out the old, to get in with the new. A little sin keeps growing and spreading until it corrupts everything. We have to have a zero tolerance policy for sin in our life. Number two, we're prone to remember if we obey quickly. So he gives them all these instructions and they need to listen well to all of them. But for them not to forget, they've got to follow through. We fight forgetfulness by following through in obedience. We need to obey quickly. We follow through on what we're commanded. It allows us to apply what we've heard and retain it longer. Look what Israel does in verses 27 and 28. They hear these instructions. And we're not going to go into detail with verses 20. Uh, 21 through 25 as much because we talked so much about the Passover last week. And a lot of that, again, is just reiterated for you. But working it all together, look what Israel says. At the end of verse 27, it says, um, the people bowed their heads and they worshiped. In their listening, they're drawn to worship. And then verse 28 says, then the people of Israel went 
And they did so. As the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. You know how they, how they remembered what to do the next time? Because remember, they don't get this stuff all written down right now. Like the book of Exodus hasn't been written. Oral tradition. The best way for them to remember is to go do it. To put it into practice immediately. And my heart sank recently. My boss, who I'm, I'm usually very good at when I'm told something to do, I either do it immediately or I make a note to do it. Right. So if we're in meetings and he says, I need to get this done and this done, I'm usually taking notes and doing all that. He came to me one day uh, either last week or the week before. And he said, hey, when are we meeting with that parent that I asked you to email to set up a, a discussion for us? And I said, right now we're not because I haven't emailed her yet. But guess what? I'm doing that right now, sir. Right. Like I had totally forgotten to do it because I listened to him, but I didn't do anything with what I heard immediately. And so it, it kind of just immediately left my brain as to being something that needed to be done because I didn't I didn't put anything into action. I didn't do anything with it when I heard it. The people here hear it and they do something with it. And it's a challenge to us. And I challenged you maybe a couple months ago at this point. What would it look like if you adapted a practice Anytime you're under God's word or reading it yourself, you always left away doing something from it. But you just kind of got into this habit. Like if I read God's word or if I hear God's word taught, I always do something immediately in response to it so that I don't forget it. We need that type of follow through if we're going to fight forgetfulness in our life. Number two, we fight forgetfulness with festivals. We fight forgiveness with festivals. So we got follow through festivals, fellowship. Right? God introduced these, these celebrations to his people. These festivals, number one, help us remember through celebrating. He says, I'm giving you this Passover feast, this unleavened bread feast to, to help you remember what's going to happen in these coming days. These precious events that are going to happen. You're going to not want to forget these. And so he gives them these festivals to carry on year after year, generation after generation, so they don't forget by celebrating, we're naturally drawn to reflect and remember the parameters for our celebration. He says, make it a memorial in verse 14. All right. So think about like when you're celebrating holidays, even today, like if you're celebrating um, July 4th or you're celebrating Memorial Day, um, you're celebrating Thanksgiving. Oftentimes it prompts us to tell our kids why we do this. Right. Like what's happening? Why do we celebrate this? What's the history uh, the history behind this? Right. And so we try to convey that to our kids because they weren't there. They didn't experience it. And we didn't experience it either. Right. Like we weren't there when uh, when our nation won its independence and freedom. And yet we celebrate it with hot dogs and burgers and pool parties. Right. And so we pass that history on. And so that's what this is meant to do, too. It becomes the spiritual celebration where they can pass on what happened. And Israel's called to rehash this process of celebrating in the wilderness. Numbers nine, one through five. Talks about how years later, like they're out of this, they're, they're, they're celebrating in the wilderness and it's like, hey, we're going to do it. Like we're celebrating this. And it says that they go back and they do exactly what he told them to do here again. Israel's called to this faithful participation, but also a proper narration. They're to participate in the activities, but they're supposed to be able to tell others why we do what we do. They're to know the significance of the activity as well. Now. Let's stop for just a second and think about the, the, the Lord's Supper piece for us, right? So 
If you were a Jewish man or a Jewish woman and you're celebrating Passover and the unleavened bread feast and you're sitting around and your kids are asking you questions, the expectation was you could explain to them why we do this. This is why we do it. This is why we do it the way we do it. Because it goes all the way back to God setting us free in Egypt. Well, the Lord's Supper has replaced that for us, right? So our call to celebrate and remember Christ through the Lord's Supper implies two things. Number one, we need to know the significance of the supper. What does it mean? Hopefully our study the last couple of weeks gives you further insight into what the Lord's Supper is and why we celebrate it. Because the New Testament doesn't shy away from saying, this is the Passover lamb, right? This is what we mean by the unleavened bread being removed from our life because our Passover lamb has come and called us to holiness. We have to know the significance of the Lord's Supper. And number two, we have to experience the significance personally ourselves as well. To explain it to our kids, we've got to know it and we've got to experience that salvation. Festivals help us remember through celebrating. Number two, festivals help us remember through questioning. We don't like to have our kids ask questions that we don't know the answer to, but it, it drives us, hopefully, to get the answers. So as the feast is being described and talked about, verse 26, when your children say to you, what do you mean by this? Right, think about it like 40, 50, 60 years after the Exodus. You're, you're, you're a young kid in a Jewish home and... Maybe it's the first year that you really are going to remember, right? Like our kids have their first Christmas, but then they have that first Christmas where they remember Christmas and they ask questions about Christmas, right? So kid grows up and he gets to his first Passover, right? And he doesn't remember any of the other Passovers, but this one like kind of stands out to him. And, and dad says like, hey, here's a, here's a really cute lamb that we pulled out of our flock, right? Remember what we talked about last week, like that, that four or five year old kid falls in love with that lamb, right? And then four days later, dad comes and says, we're going to kill it. The five-year-old's like, what? Why would we do that? Like, we love this little lamb. And then he says, we got to do it. Because years ago, God passed over us. What do you mean he passed over us, Dad? So Dad begins to explain what it meant to be passed over and begins to explain the, the lamb and the substitute and begins to tell him, like, buddy, we're waiting for something better than this. We're anticipating something greater than this. The questioning allows for further interaction with the content. We're meant to teach the next generation the truths worth celebrating with an understanding that our teaching will raise questions. And for our children tonight, children, ask the questions. As you see, like your parents and, and me as your pastor, as we're living out our faith and we're doing things and you're like, why do we do it this way? And I don't understand it. And ask those questions. We invite you to ask those questions. Because we want to answer those questions for you. We don't want you to ever think that we just do religious things because it's fun or because it's something we're supposed to do. We want you to know why. Festivals help us to celebrate and remember. Now, we have the Lord's Supper. We don't have a whole lot else that's, that's mandated for us. Baptism is not really a festival or a feast or a celebration, but it is an ordinance that we carry on that helps us to remember the, the truths of salvation and being baptized, baptized into Christ. But we certainly have... Our Easter celebration coming up in two weeks, which which I think kind of fits within this. It's an opportunity for us to celebrate and to remember the truths of the resurrection. There's other spiritual things that happen throughout the calendar year that we can take hold of and seize and remember the birth of Christ at Christmas. Right. So while they're not mandated that we have to celebrate these things, they are certainly an advantage to us to celebrate these things because it helps us to remember but number three, we fight forgetfulness with fellowship. Follow through festivals and fellowship. 
As parents, number one, we need to cultivate an inquisitive culture with our kids that lets us tell them what to know, why to trust, and how to follow. Let me say that again. As parents, we need to cultivate an inquisitive culture with our kids that lets us tell them what to know, why to trust, and how to follow. The Passover, the unleavened bread feast, the Lord's Supper, they're meant to be teaching tools. They're meant to create questions, and we're meant to have the answers for them. One of the, the, the speakers this weekend, and I've heard this term used before, but he, he reminded us of it, that parents are supposed to be the resident theologians for their children. The idea being that mom and dad are supposed to be the spiritual authority teaching and discipling the kids. Right? It's not passed off to a pastor, to a youth pastor, to a Christian school teacher. Like, dad and mom are supposed to be the, the spiritual theologians for their children, answering the questions, directing their kids to, to know what to believe and why to believe it, why to trust it, how to follow him. That's the picture that's laid out here. God is saying, like, we're going to do this, and it's going to prompt questions with the next generation. They're going to come asking and you're going to need to have the answers. And you may not have all the answers, and that's okay. Like, I'm not expecting everybody to become a, a, a biblical scholar overnight. But you need to know where to find the answers when you don't have them. You need to want your kids to ask the spiritual questions. It's healthy and it's good. And as the shepherds of your family, you get to direct them to the right answers, to teach them what to know about God, to explain to them why to trust God, to model for them how to follow God. The Bible implies that intentional conversations... And spontaneous conversations, when the questions start to flow, they're to be created and cultivated to point our kids to him. We should want that. We should desire that. We should help create that. That fellowship between kids and parents ought to be happening regularly. And, and part of the reason we get to gather and assemble is so that we can bring other families into the assistance of helping to raise our kids too. That's where the, the youth leaders and the kids leaders become the partners with you in that, right? So that it doesn't fall completely on you every second of their life, but certainly you become the caretaker of your kid theologically and you get to raise them and teach them and point them to him. Lastly, number two, as individuals, we need to commit to an assembling culture with other believers that provides community and accountability. So parents, we need to cultivate an inquisitive culture where our kids want to ask questions. Why do we do this? As individuals, we got to commit to an assembling culture where we find community and accountability. Notice that those assemblies are scheduled before and after the feast. And within that, there's this idea of people being cut off. You tie that in with 1 Corinthians 5, and I think what we have going on here is that when people aren't going to follow, right, they're not going to submit in obedience to Christ, they ought to be removed, right? I don't think this is a final full-on cutoff, right, like where, where if you eat unleavened bread, like you're out forever. It's the idea that just as like in 1 Corinthians 5, if you're going to stray outside the marriage bed in, in a way that God hasn't designed, like, there's got to be a lot of hard conversations there. And when repentance doesn't happen, there's got to be removal. There's a cutting off of the assembly. So I think this picture here is we're going to assemble before and we're going to assemble after. And if anything needs to be discussed in those assemblies, we're going to discuss it. Because we're pushing each other to obedience. We're pushing each other to faithfulness. <laughs> These assemblies were scheduled to provide accountability for carrying out the entire process rightly. 
And fast forward to the New Testament, book of Hebrews is so clear that we need each other to stir one another up to good works. We need each other to keep us from going hard to sin. We need others to ensure that we keep sweeping sin out of the deep, dark crevices of our heart. Because if we just leave ourselves to ourselves, we'll keep some leaven behind. We'll keep enough behind to make one more batch of, of, of friendship bread when we really want it most. We won't clean it out completely. That assembly, that community, that fellowship, we need that for accountability and community because it helps us, it helps us sweep and it helps us when we have blind spots and we don't see it ourselves. Right? We've, we've cleaned out our kitchen and we're like, hey, I think I got everything. And we invite somebody over to say, hey, can you find any leaven in here? Oh, there's still some right here. Man, thanks for finding that for me. Thanks for helping me see that because I didn't see that initially myself. And I want to get that out. I want to clean it all out. I want to sweep it all out. That's the picture we see here. The Passover feast, the unleavened bread. And it's a picture of our salvation. It's a picture of our sanctification. We don't want to forget what happened in the Old Testament. We don't want to forget what's happening in the New Testament. We fight that forgetfulness by following through with immediate obedience. With festivals and celebrations. Man, let me encourage you. Well, I'll get to the application because that's where it's going to be. Uh, and when we fight forgetfulness with fellowship. We need that fellowship with our parents and our children. An inquisitive culture. We need it with our brothers and sisters in Christ and assembling culture. Application, two pieces. Number one, prepare to celebrate. I want to encourage you and challenge you. In what ways will you intentionally use this Easter season to remember our Passover lamb? What are you going to, what are you going to do in the coming weeks? We've got Easter in two weeks. There's opportunities for you, those with kids, to be intentional. What are we going to do as a family to increase like our kids' understanding and exposure to the resurrection of Jesus so they don't ever forget it? So that when they leave my house, they remember he is risen and he is why they keep following him. Even in the midst of hard times, we don't walk away. Why? Because he's alive. We have Easter coming up. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, like, we're going to be able to celebrate the Lord's Supper as a part of that. So we're going to have Easter, partake of the Lord's Supper, and we're going to have Application Sunday, the following Sunday, and be able to take the Lord's Supper again. Let me encourage you to think about how to even use the upcoming Lord's Supper opportunities for yourself to remember, for you to use it as a teaching tool for your kids as well. Prepare to celebrate. How will you use these upcoming festivals to remember our Passover lamb? And then lastly, number two, Prepare to assemble. Will you make C groups and D groups and other Christian accountability opportunities a priority over the next two months? We were talking as elders how our small group participation recently in the last few months and even our D group participation has started to wane a little bit. Like attendance has gotten a little spotty and it's not because there's bad reasons being given for people's absences. Like it's all good reasons. Like I get that. And, and I've told you before, like I'll never come to you and say, hey, we got a problem because you don't come to D groups. Like we're called to assemble on Sundays. We know that. And we're going to create opportunities to assemble outside of Sundays as well. So you may be finding ways to assemble not in the C group, D group format. But let me let me help you to hear what's got to happen. You assembling, you assembling with other believers. C groups and D group schedules may not always work for you, and there may be things that keep you from being able to assemble. Then the burden of responsibility goes on you to find other times to do that, because what can't happen is the non-assembling as a regular habit in your life. Because what will happen? You'll grow hard to sin. Leaven will get missed, right? You, you, you need to be stirred up to good works. So let me just challenge you to kind of think through, like, do I need to kind of 
uh, reprioritize some of that in my life. Again, whether it's coming to C groups and D groups or not, how do I reprioritize and make sure I'm gathering with other brothers and sisters in Christ regularly so I can find the encouragement, the community, and the accountability that I desperately need? If you don't have it, you'll forget. You'll forget all the things that God's word says. You'll have that amnesia. The community of fellowship gives you the deja vu experience. Brings it back to your attention and you say, oh yeah, now I remember. Thanks for stirring that back up in me. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We thank you and praise you for your goodness. We thank you that you're so caring to not only communicate truth to us, but to, to labor so intensively to make sure we don't forget it. God, we thank you that you, you worked a great, miraculous salvation thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. And yet you preserved it in such a way where we can read and study it tonight and feel like we were there. Lord, we thank you for the Passover. We thank you for raising up a people from whom the Messiah would come. A people that you graciously graft us into. Not because Abraham's physical blood runs through us, but because the same faith that he expressed, you counted as righteousness for him. You do the same for us, which makes us Abraham's offspring. You tell us that in the New Testament. We thank you for that tonight. We thank you that this is our story as well, that we've been adopted into this story. We've been, we've been grafted into this story. Lord, we thank you that Jesus came to reinterpret the, the Passover experience for us, that he is the perfect lamb. You provided the substitute that we so desperately need. Lord, help us to never forget how need, needful we are of Jesus. Lord, help us to see the responsibility we have in being passed over to now sweep the leaven out of our life. To not be content with just being saved out of sin. That we want to we leave it all behind. We want Egypt completely out of us. Lord, give us a desire for that. Our, our men heard it this morning. We can't just strive for behavior modification. We've got to change our desires. Lord, help us to walk in the spirit in such a way where our desires are changed for the things of you. Lord, help us to take advantage of the times where we partake of your Lord's Supper here. To use it as a time to remember. Help us to use the upcoming Easter season to remember the resurrection of Christ. To use it as a teaching tool for our children. And Lord, help us to prioritize the assembling together with brothers and sisters for accountability and community. Lord, we know we need each other to stir up to love and good works, to not grow hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So Lord, give us a desire to prioritize it, whether it's C groups and D groups or whether it's other times that we create in our schedule. Lord, help us to assemble with one another so we don't forget you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.